My name is David Frainer, and I'm here for a conversation with one of our storytellers, with Tina Charpentier. And thank you so much, Tina, for um, joining in this interview, which is really more of a conversation. Anyway, that's my thought about it. And I thought we might focus on three things, um, if we have time for them. Uh, one, about your experience in the military, another about your experience in the Middle East, which you say you've done twice. Therein lies a tale. And then uh, spend a little bit of time talking about storytelling. <clears throat> now, um, without going into specific dates, when I was uh, considerably younger many moons ago, um, women in the military was a whole different deal. Now women are on the front lines. So, but I wonder if you could share with us a little bit more about your own experience, what you got involved with the military by way of Al. Yeah. And, but you, sort of like the man who came to dinner, you stayed. Yeah, well, grew up in Kittery. It's a Navy town. Back then, especially, you know, growing up here. And we had the base over at Pease, too. There was military all over the place. So my father was military. He was 27 years Navy. Um, but I didn't go in the Navy. <laughs> I married a Navy guy, but that's how I ended up in the Middle East the first time, in Bahrain. And then after that, we, we did get separated after that. And since I didn't go to college because I got married out of school, I, um, that's the day I joined the National Guard was when we got separated. Is that right? I joined over, yeah. And I, I was given it hope, you know, I thought maybe if I went away and did that, at least get some kind of training and come back, then maybe things would work out. And it didn't, and that's, that's okay. That's where I am now, but. Um, so I was in communications. I've talked about that in my stories. Uh, there's- But did you, you always had an interest in the military. I mean, it was partly familial, yeah. but I, was it more than that? Was it simply it what you- It was a job. Of... Initially, <laughs> <laughs> at one point I needed a job. I mean, I was, waitressing and cleaning buildings at the Navy Yard and doing whatever I could to make money. So I was glad to join the military to get a job up front, you know. And actually, it has helped me the whole rest of my life. Because I went into electronics and communications, I was able to come back and get a job doing... I, I became an electrician, to be honest with you, for a while. And then morphed into... Um, when Pease closed, I got a job over there full-time with them for 10 years. and. That's when things changed for me because then we were doing networks and digital phones and all that kind of cool stuff. And where the base closed, we had to rewire everything. It was probably the best thing that could ever happen because we put all fiber underground. We had to terminate all that. I mean, I, I had such an awesome experience with the base closure at the time. It's interesting because the base is, in fact, on my grandmother's old farm, the North Ramp. Is that right? It was my grandmother's home, <clears throat> and they were taken over by eminent domain in the 50s to make the base. Yeah, so I worked 21 years on top of the farm, <laughs> on the flight line <laughs> wow. of it. Yeah, yeah. So then you did two tours of duty in the Middle East, as you say, well, or two, two terms. Really. Yeah, not, I not went with Al as a wife, right. and Navy wife, which was, you know, has a lot of... Um, I mean, it's a sad story in the long run, but it was one of the best experiences I could have ever had. I mean, had I gone to college, I would never have the experiences I did. And that was the closest knit group of people I've ever been involved with. That's why I always say there were 60 Americans over there, and that included embassy personnel, the commanders, the officers, all of it. 
the 30 of us that went on the camel trip uh, were the closest group of people that I could have ever. The sad thing about the military is everybody moves on, right? So you lose touch with each other. But I am Facebook friends with a couple of them. I, it took a long time to find them. But I wish I could have a reunion. You know, you have a high school reunion or something. That's the reunion I'd like to have. I don't want to go back to Bahrain. I used to always think I loved Bahrain. Bahrain was such an awesome experience because you couldn't wear shorts or anything as a woman, but you didn't have to dress in the, the, the gardu. Like in Saudi Arabia, you have and all that kind of stuff. They're very strict over there, but Bahrain isn't. You could drink and have a good time and do all this kind of stuff, and that's why I could go on a camel trip and whatnot. I could work. Um, Saudi Arabia is a totally different world. Um, so yeah, 10 years later, or 11 years later, I end up in Saudi Arabia on my own military tour during wartime. I mean, it was, it was a stressful time, too, with the Iran, the Iran hostage crisis. And especially in Bahrain, because then they tried to, like, they, they got all of the, uh, the, get, the, the hostage people, they got them there and sent them to Saudi Arabia for beheading or whatever ended up happening. And then they ousted all the, anything Iranian at the time. So it was really kind of a scary place for that matter. But it wasn't wartime. Saudi Arabia trip was wartime. I mean, it was, you know, they were still lobbing missiles and whatnot over there, you know, it was a whole different world. You had to have chem gear with you for biological warfare. We actually had a canary. I was going to talk about that in one of my stories sometime, maybe. All, all of the sophisticated stuff you have today, we still had a little canary because that really is the best detector of anything. Bad. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now, did you have experiences being a woman in Bahrain and in Saudi Arabia, they were different experiences, it yes. sounds like. Yes, yeah. In, in Bahrain, we could even go to church. Like they had, there's Christians there and stuff like that. You could do that if you wanted. In Saudi Arabia, our chaplain, we had to call him a morale officer. We weren't allowed to have any other religion there. It's, it was strictly Muslim. Um, everything's different. We went swimming and playing and partying and everything in Bahrain. Saudi Arabia, none of the above. None. I mean, there were checkpoints, you know, we had to have your papers and all that stuff in Saudi Arabia. Very different. And my mother was like, she wasn't as worried about me going to Saudi Arabia because she's like, oh, you, you've done that before. I'm like, well, ma, it's really a lot different. But <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. I won't, I won't go into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it really is different. I mean, yeah. And uh, Bahrain, I could drive. I did ride, I did borrow a guy's motorcycle. I went to a wives club meeting one time, me and my friend Brenda, and we borrowed a motorcycle. And we're not really clear if we should have done that in Bahrain, but we did. <laughs> it was the only way we could get there, so we did. But I'm not sure if we should have. I also didn't know if you should like use a camera and stuff like that. That's a story I should tell someday. Is this this camera business because. I wanted to take pictures, right? Send them home. But should you take pictures of these people? I don't know. So you kind of, you know. And it was back when they were 110 cameras. I had one that did that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was the trip. Yeah. Maybe I'll tell that one someday. The picture story. Now, you're a relatively new storyteller. Yes. 
And it seems to me that you're pretty much a natural storyteller. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about that. But what brought you to storytelling? How, how did you get interested? Uh, well, um, one of my friends, John Dover, used, used yep. to come, and yep. he still comes once in a while. Yep. He, he said you should at least go to their workshop, you know, and hang out. Cause I've told him stories before, and he's like, you should just go over there and talk to them. And so then I, um, you know, I got laid off and all this kind of stuff. So my whole life changed, so I had a little bit extra time, so I, I did do that. Uh, right. Because right. I think you should probably do something that scares you. You know, they say that, right? You should do something that scares you, like, every day. This pretty much fills me up for about three weeks. I, I <laughs> I'm all set for a little while. Yeah. I usually, you know, I can tell stories of a little group of friends. Right. But it's right. usually over beer or a fire right. or something. Right. This is uh, different. This is quite different. Yes, yes very. quite different. Yeah. So, uh, in our approach to storytelling, we encourage people to move off of texts or scripts, yeah. and yet we sort of sort of a contradiction in terms. But we also encourage people to use texts and scripts if it really makes them feel more comfortable. My, the, what I find fascinating is I know that you use a text, but it never feels like you're reading. Yeah. In fact, it's almost more like. Linus's blanket or something. Yeah, well, I, in, <laughs> the thing about the text for me is that I could wander, because, I mean, yeah. these really happen to me, as they do to everybody, but I could really get down a rabbit hole, and then it'd be 10 minutes, and I won't have told my story. So I have to try to keep myself... Like that camel story I just told, I could tell you a whole bunch more about that. That was a long couple of days of my life, or weeks, or whatever that took to happen, but... Well, we want I, to hear them. Maybe not right yeah, now. Yeah, but. but I have to wheedle it down to, <laughs> to say, you know, what can I talk about? Because, I mean, even waking my friends up, that's another whole story. I mean, I had to pound on the doors and go in the windows and the whole nine yards. I mean, and I'd already been up, I don't know, three days. <laughs> yeah, that Danvers cop. The Danvers cop. I mean, he didn't even, he must have heard it all, right? Or at least he has now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's not every day I got injured in a stampede. I know, well, yeah, stampede. I didn't give you a statement because, well, yeah, this is a pre-existing condition. <laughs> pre-existing camel stampede condition. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. Not every day. Yeah, yeah, well, we, a hurt we hope you will tell some more of those stories. How do you go about selecting a story? I mean, you were just saying you need to have a lot of yeah. stories to tell, but some way of paring them well, down or this, making them yeah. fit into a... We use this 10-minute frame. This one, when my mother said, what if you'd have been killed? I mean, it could have been worse. That was a lot of bad stuff was happening to me there. I mean, I was, you know, but yeah. I never, I never kept anything from her again, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it could have been worse, yeah. When you, just, we're getting towards the end of our conversation here, when you prepare a story, do you write it out first, or do you say it to a tape recorder and then t write it out, or how do you? No, I write it out first, yeah, and then get the rid same. of a bunch of stuff, and then get rid of a bunch more stuff to try to get it in the 10 minutes. Then I come to the workshop, 
And you guys, and then I throw that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you want me to say that? But I've already got 10 minutes. So I have to get rid of something. Yeah, so, yeah. That's why I write it out. I have to. I know one of them, I couldn't come because I'd broken my ribs. I couldn't come to the, to the workshop. So Pat did one over the phone for me, and uh, that was awesome, right? But it really did throw out all my notes again. <laughs> That's so hard to do, but yeah, I have to write them out. Well, thank you very much, Tina, for yeah. spending time with us, for telling the story tonight, and for the conversation. This brings us to the end of our conversation and it brings us to the end of our program. Our thanks to the PPM-TV producers and staff and to our own True Tales Live crew, Amy Antonucci, Pat Spaulding, Steve Koval, and John Lovering. And thanks also to our tellers uh, and thanks to our audience. We believe that storytelling builds community, but it takes a village of listeners, it's the kind of thing that Amy was saying before, in order for stories to come to life, and it takes you, and we appreciate that so much. Our next show, as Amy said, is Tuesday, November 27th. The theme is Coming of Age on Growing Up and Growing Old and Growing Older. And since in December, the last Tuesday of the month falls during the holiday times, there will be no regular December show. Our November show will be the last of this calendar year, but there is some more the True Tales Live crew has been asked to join with the PPM-TV staff for a special holiday program, which I believe is December 13th. But you can check out the PPM-TV website to find out more. If you are considering telling a story, we encourage you to attend a workshop. Our next one is November 6th from 7.20 to 9 p.m. And as Amy says, to tell a story, go to truetaleslive1 at gmail.com. My name is David Frainer. On behalf of our entire True Tales Live crew and staff, thank you and good night.